Eagle Hour acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Get down, get down, it's Eagle Hour. Good evening, everybody. I am Good Brother. And I'm Will Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the timer for me, Tom. Anything said over the next 60 minutes will stand up in a court of law and any argument you find yourself in with a film school shoot. These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable and nondescript. So, let's talk about Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights, released on the 12th of February 1998, Boogie Nights is the second of the Paul Thomas Anderson filmography. Created on a $15 million budget, it grossed $43.1 million at the box office. And finally, it clocks in with a whopper. It clocks in with an extensive 155... Clocks in with a runtime of 155 minutes. My God. <laughs> now, before we get sucked into it, Quick mental health check. Hey girl, I know it's been a while, but uh, I just need to ask you something. How you feeling? Girl, tell me how you feeling. So, Tom, how you going? I'm good, thanks. Good brother. Um, how are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good as well. Thanks for checking in. Thank you. All right. Now, when did you first see Boogie Nights? What's your experience with this film? So, I first saw Boogie Nights in 2017, which is three years ago from recording. Um, I can distinctively remember sitting down to watch it. Like, I knew it was a famous film before I watched it, obviously, and it had a high reputation in pop culture. Um, But once I finally did sit down to watch it, to be honest, I didn't get it. Like I can distinctly remember getting to halfway and it's, it finally sort of clicked what I was in for and I could relax after that. But I suppose what I'm saying is this time watching it, I knew what I was in for and I really enjoyed it for that reason. So when did, when was the first time you watched it? I watched it with the other good brother, brother and, uh, excuse me. There's another, there's another brother. (laughs) Yeah, we just uh, happened to put it on for the night. It was on Netflix, hadn't been on Netflix yet. Um, I'm a big fan of PTA, so I had seen some of his other work before this, but including... Can you clarify who you're talking about? A certain... uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, you mean Academy Award winning director of There Will Be Blood? Yes, I do in fact mean... One of the few films that has earned a five-star rating on my letterbox. There will be blood. That is huge. And for those listening at home, what is your letterbox? My letterbox is Lil, and there's a little apostrophe, Silky. So, uh, it uh, is canon (laughs) as part of the podcast. (laughs) Sorry, I spoke wrong. It's officially part of the the Ego Hour podcast. Um, Cinematic Universe, war. podcast okay. universe. It is Lil Silky, L-I-L-S-I-L-K-Y. 
So to begin any discussion about Boogie Nights, I feel it's only appropriate to talk about the opening scene. Namely, for the viewers at home, or the listeners that haven't actually done their homework, the opening scene of Boogie Nights is an extensive single shot which takes us high up above the street level where you can see plenty of cars, plenty of people. It comes all the way down as we follow uh, Burt Reynolds, which who's, goes by Jack and his girlfriend, who similarly has a character name. <laughs> Her name is Amber, I think. I'm pretty good. Amber. Julianne okay, Moore we'll playing Amber. <laughs> <laughs> so we follow them into the uh, as they enter the nightclub, and this is where we're introduced to all the major players in the film, including Roller Girl and, of course, Eddie Adams. So the shot, like, it's just ridiculous. And personally, I found myself watching it and then going, well, of course, I was looking for it you know, to show off to my girlfriend. But I thought, wow, this is an amazing shot. This is going for crazy long. And of course, like it's, is that what you're saying? Oh yeah. Well, it does finally happen when a a girl passes in front of the camera, but it's seriously like a three minute shot or something like that. I hate that. I can't watch films anymore with like long scenes without thinking about whenever someone walks in front of the camera. Yeah. It sucks, man. Well, but in I have to say, in a film like this, it's not a downfall. It's more of a flex than anything, you know. I mean, like, it's never a downfall. It's just like part of it. But I just mean that when you it does stand the, out behind the scenes of nineteen seventeen, you can't not see it. Yeah, anymore. Um, but anyway, it's incredible, and it's obviously uh, an homage to the scene in Goodfellas where they enter the. I, f- I think it's called the Coco Cabana or something. <laughs> Great homework. Have you yeah. seen good have you seen Goodfellas? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> People have told me it's really great. I'm sure um, that like sometime we're gonna come across an homage to The Simpsons and not know what the original reference is. <laughs> um, truly groundbreaking stuff here. Um, anyway, really long shot, amazing stuff, very cool. What'd you think? Well, okay. Did you I'm notice gonna- it? <laughs> I did I did you know what was interesting about this film? I noticed that there was there was definitely an opening scene of the film. <laughs> <laughs> the movie definitely did start at a point. <laughs> at some stage. Okay. Um, no, I mean of course I did. Like it's awesome. It's it's so cool. Um The Best of My Love by like I, I mean the soundtrack in this film is just like really awesome. That song in particular I've always like really liked and it's just by the emotions, best of my love. Awesome song. The scene's really cool. I mean, it introduces you to everyone straight away. It kind of sets up that sort of like um, ensemble vibe of the film, which I mean, I, this is the first time I've seen it. So I assumed it would be more about Mark Wahlberg, but it's obviously more of an ensemble film, which is really cool. And yeah, that scene's just like really, really good. Um, and I know like I'm jumping ahead, but like to me, like the, my probably two favorite parts of the film are that opening scene and then like the end end as well, which I guess we'll get to. But and I think that yeah. obviously those those long tracking shots or whatever are pretty frequent in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly comes to mind is the New Year's Eve scene, which is a bit yeah, pretty chilling, pretty confronting scene where little Bill sees his wife cheating or sleeping with another man one too many times. Walks out from seeing the scene with dead eyes, goes to his car, puts a champagne glass on the car, reaches into the glove box, pulls out a gun, leaves the champagne glass behind, of course, 
walks back in. Locks the car. Don't... He locks the car as well. I did, which is a True. big thing. Did you notice that? Yeah. Because like so this is what I, I didn't think I'd seen this before, but then I actually had seen that scene, and so I think I'd actually seen the second half on TV or something sometime before, mm. but I think I'd seen from that scene. Honestly, I, I keep going. Yeah. So I suppose what I like to talk about is the the camera work in the Paul Thomas Anderson uh, filmography. And, you know, let's go with this film because we're talking about it because it's a podcast about this film. But I just love how often he's moving the camera. It really makes the spaces seem uh, real and lived in and it definitely places you as a viewer into the scene to see, you know, the relationship between a corridor and then the room next to it. And then just to, like, move around people, you really do feel like you're at a party when they're throwing a party scene and you're moving around like that. Yeah, I... I, yeah, that's probably the other of my favorite scenes. Um, that I don't know. That's just it's it's so cool. And like I I think in that um, article uh, the oral history, like I think they talk about how they shot that actual scene where he shoots he shoots them, mm-hmm. which is um, interesting because I can't imagine like that scene being nearly as good with an actual cut in the middle of it. You know, yeah. Like the so, reason it works so well is it's just one take. Yeah. So to the listeners, there is a fantastic uh, Grantland oral history about the production of Boogie Nights. Um, And so, yeah, in it they refer to apparently the little Bill scene that were going to show him uh, shoot his wife and then shoot himself. Oh, well, we do see him shoot himself, but you would see him shoot his wife and it was apparently too freaky. But then let alone the fact that... it would cut into this awesome shot that just goes for so long and really feels authentic because, well, so I suppose what that scene's doing, the shooting part, is it's creating this dramatic tension because you know that it's New Year's Eve, you know that they're about to celebrate as, like, everyone's counting down around them and then you know that he's about to shoot himself just as New Year's hits and whereas New Year's has this, you know, historical significance and symbolism as a um, a time of opportunity and refreshment stuff it's such a dark thing to be happening that it's really spooky i mean that's kind of the center of the film i don't know if like actually time wise maybe it's only just like an hour in or something but i think the film kind of has three parts i mean and like that's um, also important because i think it's deliberately meant to happen on 1979 to 1980 because there's that theme like obviously everything kind of goes to shit when it turns to the 80s you know it all kind of falls apart and it's you know starts with that kind of uh, with that guy I can't remember his name and he's talking about like the f- um, video and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's really like the the starting off or like a bad omen for the kind of decade that's to come. I think, mm-hmm. and kind of sets off the second act of the film where it's not fun anymore. You know, like the first yeah. half is all just like or the first you know segment of the film is all just like it's a really good time and it's like mm-hmm. fun to live in that world and then it gets mm-hmm. kind of serious. It's sort of like a love letter to. Um, I suppose classic pornography, but I suppose also it's just even classic filmmaking, right? Like they're talking about it's such a, it's a big theme to going into the eighties that they're moving away from shooting these films on actual film stock to shooting them on video technology, which is a lot cheaper, and um, I suppose it's threatening his uh, the director Jack's um, artistic vision because video is cheaper and lower production quality and standards and stuff like that. Yeah, um, and he gives that like, I can't, he gives that big speech about how he wants to make, he has a dream of making a film with the storyline and that sort of thing. 
And then obviously in the interaction, he's like pretty antagonistic with that guy. Mm. Um, yeah. So watching this film, the just opening one more half thing on the, the structure. Sorry, I just be, I wanted to say what was interesting is in that um, that that article. Um, how there's that quote from PTA where he's saying like he, he I don't know like if this is something that he said in retrospect or he actually did that this in writing. It talks about how he, he wanted the experience to be like when you watch porn. So it's like you start off with the fun and then you get a little bit turned on and then you just feel like horrible after it and it kind of cycles like that. Like it's some sort of, which is I think a funny way of looking at it, but I also think it's saying that he may have just said like after the film came out, you know. Mm. Um, that sort of brings up like uh, there's this thing in film school, I suppose. Are you, do you go to film school? I do, in fact, go to film school. There's this, like, advice or opinion that you should only write about what you know. So um, you should write stories that come from a similar place to you so you can write feelings and settings authentically. For example, uh, there's this saying, it's not about us without us, and the idea is you shouldn't be writing about, say, a disadvantaged community if you're not part of it because you're going to bring, I don't know, the wrong, an inaccurate perspective to it, an inauthentic perspective. Well, there's also that lens that, like, people from these communities, for example, should be telling their own story. Like, they don't need someone else to come along and, and do yeah, it for them absolutely. and call it art. Yeah, you just if be you doing... you think that he's earned that kind of perspective to actually make a film about it. Yeah, and I suppose, I suppose it's just impressive that he did make a film that is so sort of uncomfortable and in 98 rather than, you know, 2010 or something like that. Yeah, well, they, they talk about in that article how, um, how he... How, like, that wasn't the whole porn is cool movement sort of thing. Like, nowadays, it's kind of, you know, people are more sex positive and that sort of thing. Um, but it's like, yeah, in 98, you, I can't imagine that being nearly as, as prevalent. And it, I don't know, like, I, I, what I really like about the film is that he approached, that it's, it's about, like, a family. It's like, and it's an ensemble thing. And it's not about beyond that kind of, like, act in the middle where it all kind of goes downhill. It's um, not about how morally corrupt porn is or anything like that which i think is like you know refreshing like that would have been just like a really boring movie and like wouldn't have held up i think over time but i think what makes it kind of stand up now is the fact that it's not really focused on that and like i yeah so like i said before like the i really love like the ending of this film like it's just like really really awesome um that whole like montage sequence to god only knows it's like awesome and and i just i think i like it how everyone comes back around as a happy ending for everyone like i think that's cool Mm -hmm. yeah so i think the the poster boy of that part of the story is don Cheadle as buck don Cheadle is Um, fire in this film (laughs) yeah (laughs) so Um, good just like the most wholesome character and his relationship with, I believe... Did you go quiet when I was talking because you were like looking up names of the cast? Yeah. <laughs> Trying to do a proper job. 
I don't think you should try and do a proper job. Well, you know, your points weren't particularly interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of wholesome themes in this film, watching Boogie Nights again, I think I interpreted the first half differently to how I did the first time I was watching this film. So uh, with the whole um, Dirk Diggler joining the crew and getting along with everyone and how it's such an idealistic transition into being a porn star, I think that I really read the first half as though it's a parody of the transition into becoming a a normal film star. Um, And I think the example that stood out to me most was when they were on set for Dirk's first scene and um, Jack's like, oh, do you want to practice your lines? He's like, no, it's all good. And he's all shy and sort of unsure of himself. And then he goes on to the scene and then Julianne Moore is talking to him and she's like, don't worry, it's all good. And everyone's been supportive. And then he delivers the lines and it goes really well. Um, and so it felt like it was riffing on that idea that everyone wants to move into LA to become a film star and then what would an what would a dream run look like? And that's what it would look like. But then the, the punchline being that, you know, it's in the porn industry rather than in the actual film industry. Well, not the actual film industry, the uh, commercial Hollywood film industry. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it kind of read more generally. It's just like a kind of underdog um, arc sort of thing. Like it could be like any sports movie or something where there's a kid with a talent or something like that. And then obviously there's just like this kind of humor coming off it about, the fact that it's in a scenario that you wouldn't normally make a film like that about. And I think that, but that's kind of interesting as well is the fact that that first half, the first hour of the film, I don't think is like storyline, story-wise it's not particularly engaging. I, I don't know if you'd agree with that. Like it's just kind of like, is like following the the the, the routine of that that sort of film, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like all the interest that's coming about it is from the setting. So, I mean, it's kind of carried on how good the music is and how good the settings are and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But the storyline is just like of a generic um, hero, under you know, underdog story or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's unspecific in the way that it's really just trying to take you into the place, take you into the environment. They're at the pool party. You're not even sticking with um, Dirk. Everyone's riffing. And it's just sort of like punchline after punchline, an exciting thing just happening. Um yeah, there's def- like the plot drive at the start is really just soaking in the world and creating the world, which is, I suppose, I think that's what sort of got me the first time watching this film. I was sort of waiting for more cliche that just never really came. Um, you were waiting, waiting for more f- cliche. What do you mean? Yeah, you, you're waiting for those moments where they're like setting up the fall and it's like who's going to be his competitor and stuff, stuff that eventually does come, but it's it's by then it's less about Dirk like yeah but to be honest like my my biggest critique about the film would probably be the fact that that stuff happens very very quickly you know what I mean and Mm. I I, you know it it does have this feel where it like it really does feel like it's split into two complete distinct halves like Mm. the 70s half and the 80s half you know what I mean Mm -hmm. because uh, yeah like he has that big fight with Jack and then like leaves and everything um, and it's it, it happens all very quickly and uh, it felt kind of unconvincing. I mean, it's like not a big qualm, to be honest. Mm. I'm not not going to back myself into the qualm corner here, but... <laughs> wouldn't want to do yeah. that. Wouldn't want to do that. But yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I think... Yeah, I suppose 
Well, I, I, it's difficult not to talk about this without referencing the runtime, right? Like, the film is super duper long. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I sat down and I was like, you know, two and a half hours. Not wasn't super keen. Yeah. Um, but what is sort of confusing to me was I got to the end and it's sort of like, I don't know what I'd want to cut because you could cut peripheral stuff such as Don Cheadle really doesn't relate to Dirk Diggler at all at the end. Like after the New Year's party. Do you think that it should be shorter? Like you thought it was too long? As a, like as a filmmaker and even as As an artiste. Yeah, exactly. As Um, a, as a casual viewer, even as well, you know, Highbrow and lowbrow at the same time. I'm just like you, really. At the end of the day, don't look. Don't, 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 Tom don't and I, we're, we're just we're just normal people. Yeah, average Joes, just sitting down. I do think that two and a half hours was too long for a film that didn't have a driven plot. But at the same time, it's really difficult to start cutting it because it's like you're cutting away the lovable part of it because you're probably going to cut the peripheral stuff, and the peripheral stuff is. What makes it so, so enjoyable? Good. Exactly. Yeah. There's like the movie just about Dirk Diggler is not that good. Yeah. Dirk Dirk kills it in the first half, but then the second half is sort of less fun to be around, and sort of the other themes are probably more interesting, right? Yeah. Um. But I mean, I like like I said, I sat down and I was kind of like, oh, two and a half. I mean, I don't like just I don't like long films. I have a short attention span in that way, but I also having watched it don't think I would really yeah I wouldn't take anything out I actually think that it kind of deserved that length Hmm. only which I think is a testament to the fact that all the characters are good there's no one who like you spend a time with that you don't want to be spending time with I think Hmm. the only scene that would like immediately stand out to me is where like Roller Girl and Julianne Moore doing coke it's sort of cliche-ish um but, yeah, but know. do you think he put that in just because, I mean, there's obviously meant to be that family dynamic and that's like a literal way of showing it? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was like a funny scene, but yeah, I guess I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I There's like watching this film also sort of has, it sort of has these Tarantino moments as well, I reckon. I was going to um, say that. I, I, I was going to disclaim it by saying like, I don't know much about, I'm not a film student, so... I probably think everything's Tarantino when it's not, but I think the, <laughs> yeah. there's there's some big Tarantino moments. Like I would say, um, the the firecracker scene, the house that felt very Tarantino to me. I don't Which know if you agree with that. That deserves its whole uh, segment. We'll as talk well, about that. Yeah, keep going. Um, and then also the part with Don Cheadle with the bag Absolutely. of money felt very like Pulp Fictiony. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So those are like the real set pieces of this film. Um, like the shootout thing. The shootout thing first. I think it's awesome. I really enjoy it. Um, you know, the class... Like, I think what is so tense about that scene as well is you don't know what the drama's about to be because he's just been rejected for the loan and then he and his wife have managed to cheer themselves up. They're happy they're together sort of thing. Such a wholesome thing. And you're like, oh, something's got to go wrong. And then he goes into this thing and he's wearing like a pristine white suit. So I think the first thing my mind went to and definitely... Um, who I was watching it with went to like you know racism or something like yeah, that. It's same, seen, same thing. I thought something was going to happen to him in that in that manner. Yeah, um, but then the shootout happens, and you're like, God, like he's about to die now. Like once they start shooting, and then he gets away as the only guy who doesn't get shot. Then he and gets to no steal, take the money as well. 
so so it's amazing. That, like, but this is why the film is good, is that you think that you might be, you know, you think that there might be a lesson, like, and that's what mm. I really like, that there's no lesson about, you know, indulgence or, you know, s- sex or anything like that yeah. or drugs. It's, it's just like about these characters and, and you make, it makes you like these characters and then you want things to work out for them and then it does and it works out with a montage set to Beach Boys and it's just like wholesome as fuck and it's mm. really satisfying to watch that, you know? Yeah. Maybe that, even that like, talking about things that you could cut, right? Like the Don Cheadle selling speakers thing is such a character scene. Like it, it's another one of those ones that has no impact on the, the plot. Just It's just to sort of play that joke that he has to change his look, you know? Um, which, by the way, is fire. Like, <laughs> surely he knew the cowboy was coming well, back around. But that's that's what's funny about it is it's like in the 70s. Mm. And, well, I mean, like two comments. Like, the first one is like, so he's playing cowboy and stuff like that. And, you know, you wouldn't... You, you, we obviously think that mu- that music is awesome now in retrospect, but it probably like was not cool um mm. all that disco sort of stuff so it's like interesting that he has a side thing that he's interested in which mm. makes him i guess a cooler character um mm. and it, what's really funny is also the 70s 80s thing is it like the 70s music just sounds like so much better in my opinion and then it gets to like the 80s and there's like jesse's girl in that in that um that drug scene oh that's pretty amazing there and as that's well, like though. yeah but that's what i mean like that song like makes you like laugh you know what i mean mm. versus the 70s music you're like this is all like they're all yeah, bangers stylish. and then you get to that and you're like wow this is they're all cheesy as fuck songs like yeah i think that is reflective of the time though like because 70 stuff is cool again for sure and you hear it when um what's it called the marvin gay song comes on and yeah. like you know it was referenced uh, ripped off by robin thick um, it was but like as slaps. legally it was <laughs> the courts have determined it was a ripoff so that's our official opinion yeah. as well which that's another great scene, by the way, as he's showing around his new digs and the camera follows him around. Um, very cool scene. Yeah. Another good long take. I just, just the camera movement stuff is really good. You know, like you could shoot stuff in statics and move around and maybe a little bit, but I just love how often he's moving the camera. Um, so he uses the technique differently in this film than he does, like because. So PTA is always using camera movement and it's one of the things I love about him. Like just because the biggest thing the camera movement will do is it'll make you think about the scene in a different way. So to be honest, I think it's most noticeable and there will be blood, right? Because in that they, um, he'll hold a, like a beautiful shot and then the camera will just like crawl in a little bit and it will go for the whole scene rather than cut in between two things and the angle will only change slightly and slowly. But by the end of it, you're seeing the angle from a completely different view. And I think that's, you know, metaphor and just interest sort of thing. Like, right, let, let's get back on track, though, to the film we're actually talking about. Okay, back on track. Back on In this film is awesome. It makes it feel like it, it actually makes. I think what's such an achievement about this film is it's a period film and it feels like they went all out and it like it's a completely believable thing. You're immersed in the time, you're immersed in the sets, you're immersed in 
everything, it doesn't feel like modern people trying to do old stuff because it's cool. You know, it's it's a cool film because I I mean I love when I watch a film and it it just films like it films like it feels like you're just watching something that I mean I like films that don't overstate what they're trying to don't like have a message or a moral or something like that on their sleeve or something like that. And you know, this film, like, like I said it before as well. So you've got so much of it is about just like putting you in a setting and it it being like really enjoyable to be in. Mm -hmm. I just think that's really awesome filmmaking. And like, that's uh, like, that's what's good about this film is that everyone in it is good. Like, I don't know. Do you think anyone's like not good in this film? Actor wise or just character or whatever? Anything. Um, Who's not good. The only character that I didn't, necessarily care for extremely short was his first girlfriend mm. didn't mean yeah. much to me i think that she was in it a little bit more in deleted scenes from what i had read i don't know i didn't feel like that added much context besides when the mum yells at him which i think is really which is this, uh, uh, also a bit of a weak scene i would say i was about to say i liked it <laughs> to oh. be honest. here we go um, I thought it was really funny like it, it's it's drama but it's almost comedy like like Marky Wahlberg bawling his eyes out. It seems like a scene from I don't know other guys or something like that, where he's like, "Yeah, you don't, I don't know what I'm gonna be. About- I'm gonna be out there. I'm <laughs> gonna be doing it." Like it's a tough, it's a tough guy. Cook, yeah, yeah. I think it's a yeah. ridiculous scene deliberately. I think it's funny. Yeah, you're right. See, that's another scene that adds to my theory that it's about an ascension to Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like people don't believe in you, and this guy's like pinning all instead of pinning on a talent, like. I'm a star, I can act well. It's like I have a big penis, you know? Like, I think that's just sort of a big joke at the start because he's like, you don't know what I'm going to do. Like, he won't talk yeah. about yeah. I'm big. With his parents. Anyway. All right, so let's talk about Mark Wahlberg then because we're on this topic. Yeah. Marky I think he's, Mark. like, really good in this film. It's um, his best film. It's got to be, right? And this is what is weird is that, so for the Oscars, Julianne Moore was nominated and Burt Reynolds was nominated. And everything mm-hmm. I kind of read about this film, people are, rave about how good Burt Reynolds is. I don't really know enough Burt Reynolds films to talk about how good it is comparatively, but I mean, I don't think his character was that interesting, to be honest. Yeah, I had that in my succinct notes as well. I was going to address it. I was going to say, did what you think succinct notes? It's unprepared notes. <laughs> can you, can you <laughs> God, I'd hate to hear how the succinct notes are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it, I screenshotted a graph of the award thing because I read somewhere that he was nominated for Best Actor and I wanted to ask if you thought... Was he the best supporting actor? No, I think he was. I mean, was I also he even think the best had, supporting actor in this film. I don't think he had the le- the most interesting. He had probably one of the least interesting characters in this film. Like, what's his stakes? Nothing. Like the only know, interesting thing the, about this, him, yeah. Like besides the fact that you know, interesting character. Like as in, I mean that he's wor- he's worthwhile. But the only like writing that's unique and interesting is that he doesn't get jealous of Julianne Moore falling in love with him, with Dirk, right? But like, that's that's, that's cool also thing. another thing. Like this film doesn't have any of that shit that you think are gonna, is going to happen. Mm. You know, like it plays it straight, which I think is really cool. Um, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they hook up uh, like out, like somewhere in the middle or something like that, and it's all a bit weird, and you feel like it's going to be some conflict, but then it's not any conflict. It's it's good. Mm. You know, like the only sort of scene where that's kind of a thing is like with um um little Bill, I guess. Yeah, in terms of like. Like good acting performances. Um, I don't know. It seems like John C. Riley is meant to be John C. Riley. Like it doesn't seem like it comes hard to him at all. But this is um, what we're, this is the thing is that apparently John C. Riley is a serious actor. But for people who 
his first John C. Riley film is Step Brothers <laughs> and Talladega Nights. It's like yeah. <laughs> he's definitely that's not our impression. Yeah, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman's amazing, but like he's good in every PTA film. Like he's good all the time. You know, is um, he in Hard Eight or is this his first one? Uh, was he in Hard Eight? I watched it. I don't. Well, that's think, why I'm asking you. Yeah, I don't think he was, but he might have been. <laughs> He was in Punch Drunk Love, and he's great in that. He was in Magnolia. He's great in that. He's in The Master. I've actually done the whole PTA thing during lockdown. Oh, you're going to have to do it again because oh, I'm this I'm podcast is a PTA podcast. More than ready. I think Punch Drunk Love might be the best Philip Seymour, though. Sleeper pick. Even better than L. Ron Hubbard? Yeah. he's. That's an interesting movie in itself. But yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um what is the your yeah. target audience of this podcast? Is it people who listen to Paul? Like, I'm not too sure what it is. Well, because we talk about Paul to Thomas a Anderson, film podcast, but we don't have anything to interesting to say about it. <laughs> if you want to relive your favorite scenes, listen to this podcast and hear us rave about good things. What do you think about the uh, roller girl scene when they're in the back seat of the car and it's juxtaposing scene, With which the, is I, Dirk. I thought. That stuff, I'd actually seen that before on TV or something. Um, I think it's good. I think it's made me feel all feelsy and it's stressful. Um, mm. It's a big emotional turn. Well, that's like I was saying, like the 80s thing, it goes to the 80s. He's making the song, which is funny, but mm. I don't know. Like that scene wasn't like essential to me and I didn't think it was like so hilarious that like I wasn't convinced about that whole change of pace until that kind of scene, those two mm-hmm. scenes, which I think were pretty good. Were you feeling them? Are you feeling them? Um, I suppose it's one of the moral moments of the film. It's the closest it gets to like... Um, to me, the roller girl stuff is like um, she puts on a mask in the performance and I think it's about that like uh, when you assume a character, you can break away from your troubled life and your your upbringing and stuff like that and then she's brought back to reality by seeing that kid again who she's uncomfortable with in the early scenes, right? That's the most like... One of the, well, the I, more charged comments where it's like, you know, porn can be empowering or sexuality can be empowering to me. And then like... I mean, all this film, to me, like, I've talked about the ending quite a bit, but like this film became like a film that I thought was pretty great because of the ending. You know what I mean? All of this stuff kind of sticks with, with the ending, in my opinion. Like, I think if you go through all that sort of stuff and there's like mm-hmm. change of characters and, you know, everyone's morally learned something, it's kind of a bit of a... It's pretty like lame, but... You know, like she, that change her to um, think about what she's doing differently or anything like that. It's just like, you know, this this guy's an, an asshole um, and there are, there are jerks and people who shame like that out there. You know what I mean? Um, I think we need to talk about the penis reveal. What do you think of that? Um, in the interviews and of the sort, they say that it's like the Jaws thing that you talk about the shark the whole film and then you want to see the shark and the same with uh, Dirk's dong. Um, you know, it's hilarious. It's really good. It's not gross. It's like, I think it's a great way to end the film and like earn points for comedy and fans right at the end, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's hilarious, um, especially because I feel like it sticks the landing beforehand and then it just puts it in there as well. Like, I mean, are you, you're obviously not as passionate about the, the ending of the film as I am. Oh, no, I think it's really good. Um, I suppose I feel like the drug scene 
has an interesting relationship to the last scene, you know. Um, that's another thing. That is one pacing uh, comment I'd have, which is that, so the film's feeling really long and you're in this sort of like uh, trough where everything's starting to go bad for everyone and then they go and they do the whole baking soda for Coke deal. Um and that's when the film started feeling long to me because it's like, oh, what else is going to happen? You know, how are they going to wrap this up quickly enough? Um, and then that sort of ends. And then he that's his turning point. And he has this really quick turning point, sort of, after like almost dying. And then, then it kicks into the final gear and all the good stuff happens. Like that change yeah, but he also gets felt really quick number. to me. Yeah, it's just that like one of the highest stakes tension moments just goes into happiness really quickly. And it just felt sort of funny to me and I suppose the only way that I could think of changing that is like cutting that scene a bit shorter just because that scene is so long you know but we've hardly the, talked about how good that scene is like yeah it's awesome that's the thing though like I can it's really long it sort of doesn't really match the rest of the film is sort of one of my comments but yeah I agree and that's what I like it does feel like it's from a, a Tarantino film or something like that but mm. it's just so good that like I don't think you can really complain about it too much so the scene when they go to doc ock's house and they are selling fake drugs um and i can't they wait to do spider-man 2 again <laughs> it's gonna be a big one the um, big question why is there no motive for any villain in a spider-man film <laughs> and why is there no character development in mary jane either very very big questions um, very, very 2003 but yeah so it's got Duck Ock dancing around in his undies. It's got their friend like bouncing off the couch, pulling out all the stops to try and overthrow this guy. It's got the person in the background throwing firecrackers, which are very um, disruptive. And then it's got that super long shot of Marky Mark looking freaked out and stoned out at the same time. Which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. And then the soundtrack as well, right? Yeah. Like I, I think I had like an audible sort of reaction to when Jesse's girl comes on. Like it's, it's very like funny. Yeah. Um, so the scene just goes for so long and you're looking for it to turn wrong, right? Like obviously the dramatic suspense is that you know that this guy, you know, you're giving bad, like fake drugs to this guy and you're waiting for him to find you out. And then like you sort of, think that Dirk and John C have like developed rapport with him and that he's not going to shoot them or something like that. And then the shootout begins and it's just like over the top and intense. And yeah, um, it's really good. I, I think simply the reason that it's so good is the firecrackers, right? I mean, that's definitely a big part of it. And then there's also like the fact that he's a good character, that other dude and the setting's funny and, Everything like I that. I think that, well, I, I suppose I just mean that, like, there's scenes that are similar to it, but the firecrackers take it over the edge, you know? Yeah, like, okay. you've yeah. seen a drunk swagger in, oh, you know, a drugged up swagger yeah, in, yeah. but the soundtrack and the firecrackers is what makes it really good. And just like Dirk looking really spaced out. Good scene. Definitely check it out. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching this film, I definitely don't turn it, it off before the end. <laughs> you probably want to. Make sure you watch this one. Um, I think we're running out of time here. Yeah, that's that's my alarm, my pre-alarm alarm, actually. 
saying that the show's about to end and our time's up. Well, a few questions. Uh, what works for you? What works for me? Boogie Nights has creates a fantastic and immersive world. I think they do this with their tracking camera shots, with their awesome costumes, with the extensive, incredible soundtrack. I think like I think it has every famous like boogie song that you've thought of besides, you know, like the Bee Gees. Um, I think it does a great job of creating exciting events and moments. And I think in terms of staying power of this film and uh, keeping it from being dated um, is not forcing an emotional and moral agenda. This is just, these are just well-rounded characters doing interesting things and you're there for the ride. What would you change about the film? What would I change? I would make it shorter, honestly. How would I make it shorter? It really becomes killing your babies because there's some fantastic scenes that don't affect the story at all, such as the whole Don Cheadle character who, well, well, in a way, like he affects the story but not the plot, you know. He affects the themes and Look, we're talking and about the characters it. and <laughs> stuff. But um, I would cut just particular scenes that are taste-related to me um, and then you would just... I think you shorten that end scene a little bit. Um, I suppose you could cut the darkest scene, which is where the juxtaposing cuts between the roller girl stuff and Dirk. Like, I just think that you'd cut Why it because cut it's that? a succinct thing you could you cut out cut and then that. you could just have the turning point instead as Dirk going to the drug deal, I think. You know? But... I think that's okay, I wouldn't do it. Cut that out of put that out of the podcast. I don't want I don't want the uh, We're getting this out of the excuse me. Can we just uh, rewind? Let's um What would I change? So I'd cut it shorter. I'd you, what? Whoa, you stepped over the fucking line. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'd find a way to make it shorter. And it's you know, you're cutting something that's good because all of it's good, but it's it's probably too long. But Okay, look, so my answer to the question, we're just, yeah, we're going to edit that out. That was just a nonsense answer. But then you're not going to edit that out, are you? <laughs> I'm not going to edit that. That's part of the humour. That's what we like yeah. to do. We like to joke around. <laughs> a couple of funny guys <laughs> on the podcast. What's, what's, what's the, ver- what's so, the verdict? Um, speaking as an official film critic of the uh, Eco Hour podcast, I'm going to be giving Boogie Nights a four and a half star rating. <laughs> Oh, yep. Jesus. What was the original rating? What do you mean That's the original huge. rating? Last time I watched it. That was, well, that was pre-letterboxed. Yeah. Well, what do you mean I probably rating? would have given it, I don't know. Yeah, okay, but your brain didn't think in, in, in stars back in 2008? Okay. I used to, it wasn't until last year when I adopted a five-star ranking system, which has rendered all of my previous rankings out of seven completely unusable. <laughs> so I might need Defunct. a, just give me a moment to calculate <laughs> the difference, the conversion rate. Um. I don't know. I probably would have given it like I think if you... a three and a half. Like it's it's just that, like I think that's a PTA theme. To be honest, is that all of these films are really impressive and great films, whether you vibed with that particular film or not. I think the filmmaking techniques and conventions are just really impressive. Yeah, I mean, I think it's yeah. When I put my film school cap on, there's definitely tons in this film that you like. That's awesome. That's really smart. That's really cool. And then, like, beyond that, it's got all this power of just being, like, mm. a really good period piece. That's really cool. And I just think, yeah, there's just, like, lots of great moments. It's, it's, 
you can tell when you're watching like a really, you know, an, an auteur, an auteur like like Paul Thomas Anderson when there's just like great scenes and great movie, mm-hmm. great movie moments. Yeah. You know? And like when I give out such a high rating, I think like, would I, do I want to watch this movie tomorrow? And it's like, you know, I'd happily watch this movie again. I feel like there's plenty more to pick up on, on the next watch and I'd be happy to, you know, dive in again for maybe two hours in the abridged little silky cut, but until then. So, yeah, I I think I'd give it a four um, just because it's like my, I probably the same sort of thing. Like I would sit down and watch it again. It wasn't like a, a love, love yet, but I, I did really enjoy it, and I thought there's super lots of mm-hmm. really good moments in it. Well, there you have it. Yeah, is that, I is can that the hear time? Is that the alarm? Well, I can't believe that yeah. the hour's gone already. It, it. The thing is, I actually can believe it. It's been like 55 minutes. <laughs> it felt. It honestly felt like 20 minutes. That one. <laughs> that that podcast was like pulling teeth. <laughs> and. Hey, I'm just glad that Zoom extended our call because they knew this was important. <laughs> Has Zoom ever not extended a call? <laughs> Actually, there are these so many forty-minute blocks that they the can teacher's get call dropped out. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> He's like, "I'll just send you another link." You know, maybe if we don't do it this medium, I, maybe there might be another medium that we can Honestly, explore those feelings. I in. can't imagine. I'm only familiar with the picture as a as a student of the uh, moving image. He's doing that thing where he puts a block, a square to his eye. Sorry, it's actually 16-9 widescreen ratio. If it was 4-3, then you can call it a square, brother. But actually, the original Academy ratio, when um, film used to be uh, double perforated, it was uh, (laughs) 4-3. And then when they created 16-millimeter format, they realized that if you cut out one of the perforations, you could have a single perforated edge, and then it would actually allow you to use more of the film stock more efficient image, higher quality. The fact that you can say this stuff off the top of your head, but like actual bits you've written down about the movie, <laughs> you can't even get a sentence out. Um, that's about all the time we have tonight. Thank you for tuning in. This has been Ego Hour. So make sure if you want to stay up to date on all of Ego Problem and Good Brother Works to follow us on I'm Good Brother on Instagram or search Shoulders Music Video Clip Good Brother on YouTube and click on the link that's not an Indian guy and then you'll find us there. <laughs> and most importantly... No, no, no that, is our, that is our video. That's our video. <laughs> make sure you follow Lil Silky on Letterboxd for some amazing in-depth reviews. All right, this has been another classic. See you later. Another classic or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in... Tell us who's done Another antique shipwreck you spun It's a Friday 